On the Empire Podcast this week, Ridley Scott's not an alien prequel honest Prometheus explodes out of its creator's chests and onto the big screen, but was it worth the wait? We also say hi-ho to Snow White and the Huntsman, discuss the week's big movie news, and welcome Rick McCallum and Neil Marshall to the pod booth. How do you like lem pod apples? Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest edition of the Empire Podcast, the podcast that recommends taking off and nuking aside from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Every week I'm joined by an elite hand-picked team of Empire writers, the best of the best, the cream of the crop. Unfortunately, they've all been picked off one by one by a nasty space alien while mining for ore, so we'll have to make do with the following. I like to charitably refer to them as the dregs. Please welcome Empire's <laughs> resident Ripley. She's strong, resourceful and is constantly screaming, get away from her, you bitch. It's Helen O'Hara. That's true. I do wear a white vest a lot and you run do. around with a flamethrower. Massive power loader. Absolutely. You always get stuck in the lifts here at work. Uh, well, but it's still worth it. Uh, next up's a man whose cold, analytical streak <laughs> and love of Abbas Kiriostami box sets has led us to believe he may not quite be human. Let's hope he's not harboring a darkly psychotic side. <laughs> or oh, we're all in trouble. It's Phil Dissimlian. How are you? Bonjour. Bonjour. Oh, wow. <laughs> German. And uh, last but not least, making his second appearance on the podcast is a dependable, <coughs> stoic, coughing... Are you okay, Dan? <coughs> are you all right? Dan? Dan? Oh, my God. Oh, God. What's happening to his stomach? Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's Jolien. <laughs> <laughs> It's Dan Jolin, everybody. <laughs> Say hello. I have a sore throat now. <laughs> Dan has just burst out of his own chest, which is a pretty impressive uh, feat. Uh, wow, that was phenomenal. Thanks, Dan. Um, anyway, for those looking to get our verdict on Prometheus, uh, you're going to have to wait a little bit, because right now we're going to throw the floor open to you guys. All week you've been hugging our faces and implanting embryos of communication into our chest cavities. <laughs> Let's have a look at a man hire asks... It would be in your dream five-a-side football team, which is a which is a great question. And Phil, oh, this, this shut up, Dan. He did. My God, um, <laughs> this is in relation to uh, Soccer Aid, which yes. was that fantastic charity football yeah. match, which was on Sunday, uh, played at Old Trafford. Which is uh, right. They kicked the ball in everything. They kicked the ball in the right direction. Yeah. And it's, were there some goals? There were goals. Awesome, Dan. I love it when shut up. Goals. We're yes. talking about football now. Yes. Just bear with us. Let the adults talk, Dan. Uh, this is the Empire Podcast. Absolutely. But it's a bit, the There's false a movie, movie stars. Theme. We'll get round to it in a second. Jesus. Uh, so this is the Soccer Aid match, which was played at Old Trafford, which is a home ground of sadly Manchester United. Uh, Seventy thousand people turned up. It was for UNICEF, and it was. Former pros playing against proper, and I mean proper, A-list movie stars. So we had the likes of Will Ferrell, Mike Myers, Edward Norton turned up and was frankly rubbish. Uh, <laughs> Jerry Butler got pretty much the the whole game to himself. Uh, who else was in the team? Who else was on the? James McAvoy came on for a little bit. There was Jason Isaacs who ruptured his thigh muscle in training, so he only got like a little run out at the end. He was in the England team. It was England versus the rest of the world. Patrick Keelty was there. Oh, some megastars. Uh, and this was phenomenal. You enjoyed that. I, I, I love watching I did, I enjoyed I didn't. I must confess, I didn't watch the entire match because I'm taking a bit of a break from football, but um, <clears throat> I did enjoy it. <laughs> I thought, so speaks a Spurs fan. I, <laughs> I thought the rest of the world side lacking a bit up front with Will Ferrell and Mike Myers <laughs> they were yeah I, I think just... they were hoping to you know laugh the defenders into submission but yeah. it didn't quite happen yeah, no, hang didn't. on was it England or UK because you mentioned Jared Butler and Patrick no he was in the rest of the world Jerry, Jerry was on the uh, rest of the world team and Patrick Kilty uh, Patrick Kilty was the goalkeeper for the rest of the world team okay fine carry yeah. on yeah uh, uh, frankly celebrities mm. friend. anyway anyway moving on <laughs> uh, but who else there were other some um, Woody Harrelson came on towards the end as well there was a proper if, honestly it was like some sort of weird Avengers setup. <laughs> 
Avengers playing football, I Avengers would watch. Avengers playing football, yeah. So if you had to have a five-a-side team, Phil, have you given this any thought whatsoever? A Hulk in goal. Yeah. Clearly. Iron Man up front. Thor midfield. Yeah, just do the Avengers. Osiodiles? Osiodiles <laughs> on the wing. There you go. <laughs> Sorted. Um, at Nurtech UK asks, a very dangerous question. What do Empire think of love, actually? Proof, surely, that ensemble rom-coms aren't totally worthless. Now, we gave Love Actually, what, officially three stars? Sounds about right, yeah. Sounds about right. Um, I, I loathe this film. I absolutely loathe it. Um, it's like being poked with in the eye with a marshmallow mm. for 90 minutes. It's what's what's interesting is Ollie Richards, who's generally, you know, a bit of a rom-com apologist, or at least a bit of a softie, you know, he likes some rom-coms, hates this with a great and terrible loathing. Yeah. Um, possibly even more so, more than you do. Actually, um, which I which I found kind of interesting. He started up a full full on internet hate campaign. Yeah, <laughs> but I I think it's it's not as bad as say you know Valentine's Day or New Year's Eve or what to expect when you're expecting. No, but, it's but not, in its, its own not, way, it's more insidious because it's written by a guy who's really smart and knows the rules yep, of the genre yep. and it's still saccharine yep. and yep. and sanctimonious yep. and it's manipulative mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I just find it jarring. And some of the subplots are mm-hmm. borderline insulting. The Kieran mm-hmm. Knightley subplot is ridiculous. <sighs> Rage and building. Yeah, yeah, I think <clears throat> I would agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, when I say it's better than those others, that's not, you know, praise. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's it's not as dreadful um, okay. as some of the rest. I just think, I think, I think it's a, it's a, basically ensemble films in general, I'm probably quite against this kind of ensemble, many, many stranded yeah. story yeah. kind of a film because. I think nobody gets enough screen time. Yes, you can put lots of big movie stars on your poster and persuade them to turn up because each of them only has to shoot for about three days, happy days. <laughs> um, but it, it doesn't actually serve any purpose. I mean, you know, the, the old screenwriting maxim, keep it simple, stupid, um, <laughs> would seem to be a good one to me. And I think you should just keep it simple. Just tell a good story. Don't throw in 15 okay stories. Fair point. Well made. Uh, at... Piccolo135 responds to last week's podcast discussion of films that made us cry by saying, I didn't cry at the beginning of Up, and my son laughed. <gasps> Are we evil? What well, sort of a laugh was it? It was like a... It was <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it was like that. Yeah. Uh, Followed by slowly, you know, Mr. Bond being, being, being lowered into a piranha pit. Uh, yeah, you are evil. Uh, not to put too far I think they on. might have been wearing the faces of other people while they were watching. <laughs> <laughs> At Piccolo135, we know you listen to the podcast every week. Please respond. Are you wearing the faces of other people? And is there any way we can arrange it to be Dan's face next week? Hey! Come on. That's hard. Oh, I like my hard. face where it's it is. Hard. I love your face, Dan. Dan's like a cut price Colin Farrell, by the way, if you haven't seen him. At Indiana underscore Horton, which probably not his real name, comes up with a doozy. What do you think the best trilogy of all time is? Lord of the Rings. Wow, that was loud. Dan has uh, already definitively announced it as Lord of the Rings. Helen? Uh, I'm just going to go say Indiana Jones because I think that's what uh, Henry Horton Jr. here was after. Yeah, but there is the small matter of the existence of no, there isn't. Fourth. No, there isn't. No, I'm pretty sure I no, saw it. No, I don't think so. It starts with like a little no. gopher thing. Then no. he gets inside a fridge. No. And a bomb goes off. I don't remember that. <laughs> then he fights some Russians. Pretty sure I'd remember. And a guy comes in and he says, Jonesy! No. Every five minutes, even no. though no one knows what he's on about. I don't know what you There's mean. aliens at the end. I don't think so. No, really? no they weren't Pretty aliens, sure. Chris. Oh, that's right. They came from the, the space between yeah. spaces. They Sorry were interdimensional beings. Okay, so Indiana Jones trilogy. Phil? I think I'm legally obliged to say three colours. <laughs> you are indeed. Or, <laughs> the, Apu- or the Apu trilogy. Well, which colours are they? Yeah. Green, <laughs> mm-hmm. purple, mm-hmm. and mauve. Wow. 
So hang on, it's good. Purple it's and good. mauve. No, three colours: red, white, and blue. Is that really uh, rouge? Really, the, that's your that's your choice. It's a good choice. No it's a good choice. I, well, no, I do love those films, but yeah. um, I would probably go with um, Star Wars. Blah. Star Wars. Okay, uh, I would go with, um, and again, there's the existence of actually three parts beyond this, but uh, George A. Romero's uh, Dead trilogy: Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, which are all fantastic. It's dead good. It is dead good. Well, that's that little lot dealt with. If you want to have your question read out in the podcast, it really couldn't be any simpler, as long, of course, as are good questions. Um, send in your question, anything you like, as long as it's film related. Via Twitter, we are at Empire Magazine, and the hashtag is hashtag simple. Empire Podcast. Use the hashtag or we won't be able to see it as we get so many blimmin' tweets on account of being awesome. Uh, you can also disguise yourself as a fruit and veg stall and follow us around, whispering questions at us, uh, but it might be easier to Facebook us. We're Empire Magazine on there. Or email us at podcast at empireonline.com. That's also the email address to use if you're sending us a jingle. Now, every week we charge you, the listeners, to do the work of us, the lazy bastards who run the podcast, by writing a jingle or a sting or a jingly jangly catchy tune to use the common vernacular uh, no more than 10-15 seconds and this week's entry comes from Samuel Heiligers and here it is you're listening to Empire Podcast Empire Podcast Empire Podcast it's really good fun Empire Podcast Empire Podcast Empire Podcast all night long <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that. That was good, wasn't it? That was really good yeah, fun. Yeah, that was that was interesting. Uh, did I detect, uh, detect a Northern Irish accent? I yeah. thought there was as well. Yeah. Empire podcast. <laughs> Empire podcast says no to serious film discussion. Right on to the serious stuff. The week's movie news. Lots of stuff happening this week. Casting news, name changes, and all sorts. Helen, what caught your eye? <laughs> well, um, I think this week it's got it's uh, the most interesting story for me was the story that the film One Shot will now be called Jack Reacher. And now yes. One Shot is obviously the first adaptation of Lee Child's Jack Reacher novels, mm-hmm. um, and it stars Tom Cruise as the six foot five, two hundred and fifty pound Jack Reacher. And I can see that. I can't help thinking that part of the reason behind this name change might be to convince us that Tom Cruise really is Jack Reacher. Well, yes, uh, there was a marquee in Cannes, which I was very impressed. Uh, with uh, which simply had his face with the side of his face mm. and interestingly at the time I noticed it doesn't have the name one shot on there anymore and I thought that's really really bold but it did simply say Tom Cruise is Jack Reacher and you know that very mm. very bold definitive statement take it or leave it he is completely Jack Reacher and you know what physically he no yeah. and I think he's the first to admit and he already has said an empire yeah, that he yes, has. There, there, there are a few reasons why he's you know maybe not yeah. always you know Lee Child's fans yeah. number one choice but he has the the indomitability of spirit the indefatigability of spirit that Jack Reacher has and as he says himself he can uh, I believe at a recent CinemaCon appearance mm. uh, he can drive fast and kick people's asses on screen and make it look good yeah. and that's essentially what Jack Reacher I, I actually kind of agree with that I think he's got the charisma necessary for Reacher and the sort of um, the weight behind him I think you know you could try and cast a semi-unknown in this role you know, just to get the physical type right but whether he'd have the sort of 
sheer confidence to portray Reacher as a whole other matter because I, I read all the books recently and you know he's 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 a man who knows what he's about. And you I did, think didn't he, you? In a sort of Johnny Five esque bout, you, you read all 14, <laughs> need input. fifteen of them actually in in what a day? Something it like was that? a couple of weeks, but couple of um, weeks, yeah. you know there were a couple of bank holidays in there. But um, but yeah, I mean I think I think he'll be good. I just I'm I'm still struggling because there are bits in the books which depend on him actually being. A six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds. Specifically in one shot. Muscle. I think I know how they're dealing with that. They've built every set smaller. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the, like Lord the, of the Rings. Yeah. It's like that that thing they're doing and then and then everyone else. Actors on their knees. Are, so are all, so they're all in trenches. Yeah. Well, that should be fine then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So what about this title change? Is this this is I mean it's not Well there was a there was a bit of a d- debate in the office, not about the title change uh, you know away from one shot which is actually one of the better book titles I have to say um, but they the fact that they're generic. including the fact that they're yeah. including the word Jack because of course nobody calls him Jack and to, in something that a girlfriend of his actually once uses to warn him that she's being hijacked it's very clever um, you'll have yeah. to read the books but um, but you know it, you almost could have just called him Reacher but then that might have led to lots of off-colour jokes inv- involving the word around and um, you know maybe they were just trying to avoid that what? Okay. Oh, we'll explain later, Dan. Don't worry. Uh, tomorrow on TMI Friday, I'll I'll sit down and have a bit of a chat <laughs> with you about that one. Um, yeah, I, it's an interesting one. This, I mean, I don't know why they didn't just call it Jack Reacher one shot, um, but I guess they're just trying to introduce the idea of this character to yeah. to moviegoers who may not have read the books, which are, admittedly are huge. So um, they should have just called it Jack Reacher of Mars, really. They probably should have gone down that route. Absolutely. Uh, Tom Cruise was uh, weird. I'd love to talk to Chris McQuarrie about uh, his casting thoughts on this. Because mm. apparently he's been pursuing Cruise for this for six years, so he's been thinking, he's been reading the books, and which have blown up in the meantime. Yeah, and, and been thinking Cruise, and yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see. That early work in the film is very, very good. He's uh, an actor. It's a movie. I'm sure awesome. it'll work. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Famous last words there from Dan Dolan. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and Dan, you also have something you want to talk about this week, which is the uh, this GI Joe Two business, where yeah. it's been it's been pushed back until next March at the last minute. And yeah. you think? Well, there, there are rumours circulating about why. Well, the Hollywood Reporter uh, says it has a scoop. So I mean, you know, whether or not this all gets uh, uh, corroborated and proven, but but they pretty much said that uh, the official reason for the film going back five weeks before it's due out uh, which and the official reason being that they need to do a decent post conversion to 3D apparently that's bunkum no <gasps> come on apparently I did not see that um, partly it's because they're scared of the amazing Spider-Man because that's mm-hmm. out very close to the release and I decided they don't want to go anywhere near it but also, and this is this is the thing that, that really interested me, is this idea of the trailer, uh, the first trailer, seems to suggest quite strongly mm-hmm. that Channing Tatum, the star mm-hmm. of the first G.I. Joe, yes. exits rather rapidly uh-huh. from this film. Yes, and not by his own hand. And not by his own hand. Yep. Uh, and, and then The Rock and Bruce Willis come into it. Uh, but since they shot, then The Vow came out and 21 Jump Street came out and suddenly... Uh, Channing Tatum has become a bit of a thing that he mm-hmm. wasn't before and I think Magic Mike will do him a lot of favours as well yep. and there's rumours that they're going to reshoot and rewrite and put him back in it Okay. This, yeah, the, I saw a, a thing on the official website yesterday which now lists him on the cast ahead of The Rock and Bruce Willis wow. it was Channing Tatum with 
Dwayne Johnson and Bruce really? Willis. Mm. Yeah, which, which be, wasn't the case before. Could this be a nice uh, bit of misdirection, perhaps? Could be. Sure. This is really weird, though. I interviewed John Chu um, about a month and a half ago, and I asked him about that. I was like, you know, people are saying they've seen the trailer, and it looks very clearly that, you know, your major Duke character the, Duke's the, the character name Duke yeah, yeah isn't you know is Duke is in Hazard I think um, and <laughs> that's oh, yes. shocking oh. sorry but you know Duke is not doesn't look like you know and you're fairly they're fairly they're not coy about it it looks like he's clearly going to die in the opening sequence yeah. and and he was very much more coy about it much more circumspect he was on his way to to the studio that morning to you know continue in post-production working towards a very tight deadline to get the film out so obviously mm. things have really changed at a sort of senior studio level since then mm. um, and uh, but he was like you know well you know your, your eyes may be deceiving you there may be more to this than meets the eye well it could have been just you know mm. direct He's a transformer smoke and mirrors <laughs> Um, yeah, he turns in. He turns in. Turns same into studio. a Humvee yeah. and drives same off. Same toy company. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Good Battleship work. didn't do well either. So maybe that's another reason they uh, want to. Yeah, you know, but it seems pull it weird. Back and take stock and and. It's a, it's a strange one because the the, the trailer alone uh, was better than the first GI Joe. Uh, and so I was massively looking forward I thought this movie could well be this year's Fast Five and that completely unexpected out of left field movie that's just pure fun uh, in a summer that has so far had its fair share of disappointments um, oh, I thought so, it was going to be like yeah. an executive decision type of thing where you know where, yeah, Steven where Steven Seagal yeah. dies and Kurt Russell takes over uh, that happens in five minutes I know but you haven't seen executive decision that was made it's 15 not very good, years ago yeah. oh, I enjoyed that film but it's okay I thought it was going to be that kind of thing, and you know, fair go. The you know, the Rock takes over, and and Bruce Willis is the original Joe, and it was going to be kind of a a sequel stroke origin story for the whole mm. Joe mythology and all the rest of it, and uh, clearly not. And I don't understand how they're going to do reshoot the entire movie to to, to kind well, of. They've given themselves time, and as Men of Black Three showed, uh, bringing writers in to work in a movie when it's already being shot it always works out well. So there we go let's not forget that this week also sees the release <laughs> of the new issue of Empire with a brand spanking new redesign and tons of world exclusives from Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg on the world's end ah very good to a visit to the set of Quentin Tarantino's Django Unchained complete with new pics to Marvel's Kevin Feige talking about the studio's future slate and 30 pages roughly 30 pages 23 23 well 30 that's all I'm rounding it up <laughs> badly I'm really badly rounding it up okay 23 count them Dan already has pages of stunning access to The Dark Knight Rises. Isn't that right, Dan? Well, yeah. Yeah. We thought we'd go big. It's a big movie. It was a big trilogy. He's a big filmmaker. Um, not he literally. Being, he, he being Chris he's, Nolan. He's, he, of course, of course. Mm -hmm. And we just thought, let's, 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 just, let's just go crazy. Let's uh, try and deliver coverage that hopefully matches the film itself Let's give in terms of taste. scale what did you do where did you go who did you see who did you speak to okay well I started off in um, I think it was August um, in Pittsburgh at the uh, the stadium the Heinz Field Stadium and um, there were 11,000 people in the crowd uh, there were massive explosions there were three tumblers that's the the new look uh, Batmobile mm -hmm. three tumblers uh, rolling around the place and, and Bane came out and did a speech which uh, did you understand what he we said? Actually, 
there's actually yeah he said something like it was either Gotham this is your destruction or Gotham this is your liberation and no one no one there could work out what he was saying <laughs> but it was because we were inside a press box and he was outside down on the field so it wasn't it wasn't anything to do with the mask it was just where we were and no one would confirm what the line was because it's all so secretive and then in the latest <laughs> no one, trailer no one knows what the in the latest is. trailer it is liberation so okay. uh, I couldn't use that in the piece so that so that was that, that day on set um and then I went back uh, on Fireworks Day, in fact, uh, on November the 5th. Uh, it was the very end of the shoot, and I went to uh, the set in New York where they shot on Wall Street, mm-hmm. watched uh, a colossal battle. It's over a 1,000 extras all fighting. I saw Batman and Bane fighting as well, um, which I wrote about in a previous battle coverage. Yeah. I got shut inside a tumbler. <laughs> and was told afterwards that uh, they thought I was locked in there because the ha- uh, the latch got stuck, uh, which would have been fun. Uh, I'm glad I didn't need the loo. Then more recently, I was invited to Shay Nolan, uh, where he cuts his films, and uh, he showed me some of the film, uh, which I am on a bound not to describe in any great detail sadly he did ask me and i i will uh, i will honor that request oh, e- right. even though it was not legally binding but let's do a um, batman footage reaction face it's always good in the podcast Go a batman a face, footage a reaction, reaction face. face okay um, we'll, we'll gauge sort of it's sort of more like Ooh, oh, sort of that was a good face that is mm. good yeah let's just look i can say this genuinely my heart rate was Really, my heart—I was thumping away by the time by the time it finished. Wow! Yeah, You've been brilliant. drinking espresso. Yeah, I had actually drunk quite a lot of coffee because I was jet lagged. So there was that. But um, uh, and it was a fascinating chat. And then I, since then, I got to talk to David Goya, uh, Jonathan Nolan, his brother, who doesn't, doesn't really do, interviews, do interviews. Yeah, yeah. doesn't do interviews. And I and he, and he talked to me, and he was he was he was lovely. He was great. Uh, a really insightful. Uh, Anne Hathaway, uh, Christian Bale, Tom Hardy. So. Um, all the people. Gary Oldman chatted to me. Michael Caine called me Gov. Really? <gasps> yeah. What about uh, Morgan Freeman? Uh, no, didn't talk to Morgan. Did you speak um, to the guy from the Moreland adverts, pretending he was Morgan Freeman at least, to cover up your your shocking mistake? I don't get that reference because I do not watch commercial television. Oh, damn. <laughs> Still, tons of bat interviews, tons of bat pictures, new bat pictures, and of course you, you covered the globe. So if you don't want to buy the new Empire... For loads of Batman coverage, then frankly, you must be the Riddler. Uh, and we're also delighted to reveal that at a long, 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 long last, Empire has launched in the US. Yes, finally. Woohoo! I know. Our American and Canadian cousins, you can finally download Empire straight to your iPad. You won't have to wait any longer for ages for a copy to show up in Barnes & Noble, if there are any of those still left. Barnes & Noble, that is, not copies. And that's not all. This isn't just the British version of Empire transposed the States. It's been specifically tailored for the US, reviewing the month's new releases in cinemas, or, sorry, theatres, and on Blu-ray. Uh, sorry, Blu-ray. Uh, go to the App Store, US App Store, and there it will be. Please do enjoy. Red Tails, the WW2 movie about the Tuskegee Airmen, the legendary squadron of black fighter pilots who overcame racism to become heroes for the country, is out next week. It stars David Oyelowo, Cuba Gooding Jr. and Terence Howard, but is perhaps most notable for its executive producer, one Mr. George Lucas, who's been shepherding the project for the last 25 years. I interviewed George, name drop, for the new issue in which he confirms that this is likely to be his last mainstream film and that he's finally retiring intriguing. So when we heard that his producer Rick McCallum, the man behind the young Indiana Jones Chronicles and the Star Wars prequels was in town we brought him in to glean some more insight into the film and into Lucas's decision to retire. The result, no matter what your feelings about the Star Wars prequels may be is hugely entertaining and ever so slightly sweary. Enjoy.
so I'm delighted to welcome to the pod booth uh, Rick McCallum, the producer of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, the Star Wars prequels, of course, and now Red Tails, which mm-hmm. is a which is a movie that George Lucas has been trying to make for 25 years or so. Rick, what yes. took him so long? Well, we had a little we had a little project. He had I- Indiana Jones to make. We mm-hmm. had the f- television series to make, and we had the the prequels to make. So there wasn't you know constantly twenty five years ago. But he actually told me about it in nineteen eighty nine. I'd never heard about the Tuskegee Airmen, and the problem at that time was it was such a great story. It was such a no brainer to make, um, but it was complicated because so much of the history of that story takes place in the United States. And then in yes. order to follow it, you have to kind of go to Europe and do the war bit. And then of course we wanted to come back because it was actually the beginning of the Civil rights movement when they came back they helped create the civil rights movement um it was just too complicated it was going to be too epic it was going to be three four five hour movie so it took a long time to kind of figure out and just say well you know what this is the time to do it i want to make an action movie Mm -hmm. and right after uh episode three on star wars we said oh yeah okay let's start to meet everybody in the community and that's what we did and then finally we got a director we really liked and a script we liked and we said Fuck it, let's do it. <laughs> it was a it was a trilogy at one point, wasn't it? In, in really, in reality, that's what it was. So big, Lord of the Wings. It, Lord of the Wings, yeah. good. Uh, <laughs> like Maybe if we do well here, yeah. yeah well, that's yeah. why he gets paid the big bucks. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was initially. I mean, you talk about you know the twenty five year journey, but you know George isn't directing this movie. I mean, he did some second unit on it and I, I know when Anthony Hemingway was predisposed or indisposed rather George stepped in but he didn't direct it so why was that decision made? Well I think you know George's real big thing is is he loves editing that's what he loves to do more than anything writing's okay. incredibly painful for him as yeah. most people know um, by the unbelievably decent reviews he gets for his dialogue <laughs> uh, uh, you know it's not uh, it's not the easiest part for him uh, yeah. and 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 waking up every morning to direct a movie is also not part of the personality for him I mean he but what he loves is he loves visual effects obviously and he loves to edit uh-huh. and the thing is is uh, he had a lot of stuff going on when we were uh, prepping Red Tails. Plus, it's an African-American story. You know, we yeah. didn't want two middle-aged white fat dudes, uh, one <laughs> balding, seriously, you know, making this story about African-American, this incredible story about African-Americans. Um, and also, the thing with Anthony was, was Anthony had never done a major complex visual effects movie, and this we always knew was going to have an hour's worth of uh, drama. He, I mean, hours worth of uh, visual effects, which sure. was like 1,600 shots. That's almost like up in Star Wars time Mm -hmm. and um, I mean to put it in perspective the Titanic only had 500 visual effects shots Wow. So, you know, it was a really thing. So he got this, Anthony got this incredible opportunity to be a producer and director of this great television series from mm-hmm. the creators of The Wire, which is how we found him. And uh, we didn't want him to lose that. Plus, it was, we kind of emailed, it was a kind of FedEx filmmaking project from then on, you know, so everything that we did, he would approve. And it was great. It was, it was fantastic. And for him, you know, doing visual effects isn't a, uh, it wasn't a major part of his life. So okay. it was a great learning experience for him. Fantastic. And how did you sort of land on the tone of it? Because you could have done this as a sort of a, a very worthy Oscar drama. And you kind of turned it into a, it's a boy's own adventure, isn't it? It's a fun I think, you know, for George, it was always about, um, you know, how do you, how do you tell a story about heroes and not victims? And the victim part has been done so many times with African-Americans. There's either two stories. You're a drug addict. 
you're you're in the mob you <laughs> shoot people it's run by you know it's just always a negative story about uh, uh victims and in the thing and he didn't want that because these were very special guys these were the best and the brightest they were all college educated they all had finished school a year two years earlier than they'd ever you know than average kids they were all mostly flying by the time they were 21 um and all they wanted to do was serve their country yeah and you know and yet these guys were like the knights of the shining armor these were the real they were the rock stars of their time and not to be given a chance you know by your own government mm -hmm. because there had been a war college study that had come out that basically said um, their synapses wouldn't open up and enough blood wouldn't yeah. go to their brain so that they oh, couldn't God. fly the quote at the start of the film yeah. yeah and then yeah. It, i mean that that is the nicest thing in that report <laughs> i mean seriously that is truly one of the most evil documents you have ever read i mean it 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 is so pathologically insane. I mean, I the first time I read, it, I thought George Bush had written it. I mean, it's just <laughs> incredible. It was it just, it was so scary, and uh, that was about the only you know a G-rated thing we could put out of that report. It's so it's so gross. Mm. Um, so anyway, you know, to have that uh, that burden on you, um, and to have no shoulders to step onto, because there was no one who had helped them. You know, there were no black mechanics. There were no. They didn't get a you know runway. They got a field. You know, it was a total experiment. And the irony was, you had this other experiment happening in this small little town in Tuskegee, where um, the government had brought all the uh, guys who had syphilis. The white victims who had syphilis were given penicillin but the blacks were given uh, placebo. So you had that going on, and that only finished in 1962. I mean, this is a, you know, it's a sad place. You know, I love my country, I'm American, but oh my God. Uh, mind you, you guys are pretty fucked up too. But there was some, um, some sort of funding reluctance from the studios, wasn't there? Because it's an all African-American cast that international audiences, you know, frankly, might not go and see it. Well, I think, you know, you know, I know all the guys, you know, we, we know the players are all the same. They're all smart guys. They all care passionately about movies. But, you know, it is, it's the, they're, they're racist towards the, the color green. I mean, they, <laughs> they really look at it as a dollar's game. And, mm -hmm. you know, in the end of the day, we've got two things going on. There's not, most African-American films don't gross a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there isn't a huge white audience that really wants to go. No matter how we kind of shine it over, you know, all you have to do is look at the what's going on in the United States right now with Obama mm -hmm. and the Republican Absolutely. Party and, and everything that's going on in terms of the insidious kind of undertow about Obama. And no matter how you look at it, that's racist. You know, and mm. so we've got this. The film did unbelievably well. I mean, we in yeah. the South and and major North cities were a huge African American population. We did better than Star Wars has ever done. Huh. But you can kind of, if you pinpoint it, like on Google, you see theaters doing six, eight thousand um, dollars, and then you get to Kansas City, and then from Kansas City all the way to <laughs> California. I mean, there is nothing. I mean, you see, like you know, we were doing like one hundred and fifty dollars a night. It cost ten dollars to get you know <laughs> fifteen oh, people, fifteen people, and that's all day. You know there wasn't um, there wasn't a lot of keen interest, <laughs> I would say, in the, in the the white community. But um, but you know it was a really important film for African Americans mm. because again, as I said, there were no victims. These guys were unbelievably heroic. They were great, and I think that's what George wanted to get to kids was you know you don't have to be you know uh, you don't have to get into drugs. You don't have to be in hip hop. You don't have to be six foot six and be a basketball player. You know you can also you kill know, Germans. You can kill Germans. You know which is great. <laughs> 
Not not advisable now. Let's yes. just make well. That. No, I'd after say after Saturday night, I think I, they, I, I mean, <laughs> they lost two wars, they lost the World Cup, and Chelsea beat them. I know, that's a, well, that's a sore point for some of us around here. Right. <laughs> have to say, but yeah, but George. I mean, much has been made of George's uh, personal wealth, and there's there's an impression that this is a man who can make any film he wants at any time, but. That doesn't really seem yeah, to be the case, is it? That, that doesn't work. I mean, um, first of all, he does live in an Airstream that I, I, I get to occasionally visit. Um, but, um, but you know, if you look at him, um, you know, he's he is the most decent, lives the most... He really does live a calm, quiet life. It's one of the reasons why we're in Northern California. We're not in the... We don't have anything to do with Los Angeles whatsoever. Okay. Um, but, yes, you're right. On the surface, you think, oh, my God, he can do anything. But you can't yeah. in the film business because in the end of the... You can if it's Star Wars related. Yeah. Or, you know, if it's Indiana Jones. Um uh, you know, if we wanted to do another indie with a fridge company, we could do it. You know, I mean, there's no end, endless tie-ins that we could do. Uh, um, but, but when it comes to this kind of stuff, it's not about making the film. You can make the film, which is what we did. But yeah. the real part is the really sad part is is trying to get trying to get something to sell us. And um, you know, everybody turned it down. We had this wonderful forty. We were so excited. We didn't have all the visual effects, but we went really excited. The picture was working. We could we could tell just by the people that we were showing it to that they were really digging it, and kids were loving it. Things that we you know eight nine year old kids we uh, we never thought would actually tap into that audience were really really loving the thing, and they weren't. There was just no bias. They didn't see black or white. Mm. In this thing, and um, so we proudly went down for four days, and you were showing screening to two, two um, studios a day, and nothing. <laughs> I mean, mind you, there was not a single black person who actually saw the film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but um, it was, and you know, they look at it as the takes. Okay, well, wait a second. If we buy this, this is what it's going to cost. This is what we're going to have to put into it because, again, it's so expensive to market a movie. Yeah. It's incomprehensible for the average person to understand how unbelievably expensive it is. Mm -hmm. And then if you understood the mechanics of how little money the film actually gets back, because mm -hmm. we, the way it works is whatever the gross is, when you hear about the grosses, a film does $100 billion, there's only $500 million that comes back. Then the studio, the distribu distributor, for yeah. all the expenses he's got to take, has got to take like 30 to 36% of it. And then whatever, and then you pay 10% off the top just for the running of the theaters itself, plus their percentage. Then the rest goes, this little tiny amount goes back to pay back the negative of the film. But then that doesn't even begin to pay for the $100 million it costs to release the movie in terms of the prints right. and the ads. A typical big movie, I mean, a, a, a large movie, you can spend 40 Forty-five million dollars in prints alone. My God, there you so go. That's, and then you got the uh, creative advertising uh, accountants. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> I know. I mean, I didn't mean to bore everybody. Please come back. <laughs> no, no, it's good. But, it's good. But you no, know, the thing is, is, is it's you. Th you can make anything, but getting it seen is really tough. Mm. And getting it in such a competitive field where you have the studios who will spend anything. Um, you know, it's like uh, you go, I'm, I'm in the Czech Republic now, and you look at it, and you look at the amount of advertising that's going to go into the Avengers, and there's no way to make any, there's no, there's not enough people in the Czech Republic to make the money back. <laughs> for just, you know, just, They're going to bust people in. I mean, it's just incredible. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the studio hits a bigger button, yeah. and they're looking for the one tent pole picture. They're looking for Star Wars every year. And, yeah. you know, there's five, six studios, and there's one or two big tent pole pictures that make it and everybody's looking for that gold ring and anything less is just not acceptable 
Absolutely. It's a shame. It's you tragic. Yeah. Getting anything Star Wars related greenlit is, is easy by comparison. Um, can I ask, the live action TV show, whence did it go? It, we, have, <laughs> I have, we have these. Can I use the word whence? Yeah, is, we, that, yeah. is that a bit weird? It's acceptable. Oh. God, this is a heavy program. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, we have 50 unbelievable hours, 50 extraordinary scripts. But we have another problem on this is there isn't enough money that we have to actually make this series because one of the great things when George sat down with the writers, we basically this was Deadwood in space. This mm-hmm. was this is that period between episode three and four, that twenty year period when Luke is growing up it has nothing to do with Luke. Um, that basically is the story of the underpinnings that the Emperor has set up all around the galaxy. And this is tough stuff. This is this is some serious psych psych I mean it really is pathological how fuck well I can't even go into that it's really insane what goes on in terms of the characters of this because there's nothing that he I mean I was amazed to see how far he would let this thing go but one of the big problems is there are a lot of digital characters and there are a lot of set pieces Mm -hmm. and there's so much shit going on all over the galaxy Um, and the problem is each hour of episode, each hour is bigger than any film we've ever done. And somehow we only have, you know, the most you can spend on television is maybe $5 million an episode. So How much is Game of Thrones costing? That's, that's pretty expensive. That's, that's 8 to $12 million, yeah. uh, depending, and that's not about the first thing, but that's cable. Yeah. And then the problem with us is, is again, we could have a you know HBO or something, but then they want, it's so weird, they, they give you all this money, but then they want to have a say on who, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just it's shocking. Madness. I mean, it's just, a, you know, this is capitalism gone completely amok. <laughs> um, so that isn't a viable alternative for us. Uh, network television is imploding. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't really go there. Plus, that enters and you enter into the whole world is you have a huge audience, but then you're you're limited by this forty-two minute an hour episode, mm-hmm. and um, you know every six eight minutes you've got another three four minutes worth of commercials. So that isn't very attractive. Plus, if you're not scoring in the twenty-five million a week, then the other problem is cable. It has this money, you know, and obviously they want to they want to exploit it in every way they can in the rest of the world, which we don't particularly like. Mm. Um, and uh, the the trouble is, you have no viewership. You know, you get a great Mad Men. You know, yeah, how long it took? It took the third season before it got over a million viewers. Yeah. The Wire was similar as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, international audience. Yeah, I mean, Wire was. You know, they're they're just nothing. Uh, but they represent the best mm. because what's happened now, especially in America, in terms of cable television, is is uh, film has always been a director's medium, which is not exactly the best thing that could probably happen. But there's such a mythology behind the director uh, now, and and television was always considered a producer's medium, but it really it's a writer's medium, and that's what's so extraordinary and why you're seeing such great work because you've got writers that are creating this incredible work, are learning the process of how to make a movie, um, are being instrumental in the editorial process and are the real creators and the real overseers of 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 all this great material yeah and it's unbelievable it is a kind of golden age for us i mean um when i when i i had an incredible opportunity to rape and pillage the bbc during the 80s with dennis potter (laughs) and that was one of the most glorious times i've ever i mean it just you just you know you you if you're a producer, you just you yearn for the old days of the mm. this group of a complete strange men that ran a thing <laughs> that still believed, you know, no matter how it was as they, if they thought something was worthwhile, you get. I mean, you, I, I remember going to a meeting uh, with Jonathan Powell 
And at that time, Singing Detective was eight one-hour scripts. And it had been with another producer, George, uh, Dennis's producer, for a long time. But it just, there, it was stumbling for whatever reason. Anyway, I had a, uh, a lovely meeting with Dennis and Jonathan, and he read the scripts, and, you know, they were eight hours at that time. By the end of the day, it was greenlit. You know, it was, that was what it is. I did a lovely piece with David Hare, and we went to go see Mark Chivas, and we had a lovely talk, and we kind of talked about the project, but only for about five minutes. And, you know, that afternoon, you've got a call, yes, we'd love to do, you know, it's just fantastic stuff. Yeah. And then... 1990 came around and the world became a different financial reality but I remember when I my very first film was pennies from heaven and Dennis yeah. said look it was such a failure and I was like 25 when I made it and it was no way I was ever gonna get to ever make a film again and he said no no come to London come to England where failure is a way of life <laughs> um, and it was you know as long as your, your friends liked it your peers liked it got reasonable good reviews and you didn't spend a lot of money you could keep on working so it was it was a great great golden period for me personally it was while working with uh, Dennis Potter that you met George, wasn't it? I was doing a, fil a little film called Dream Child, mm. and he was doing, um, he wasn't doing, he was helping out a, his uh, a wonderful guy named Walter Murch, great editor. Oh, yeah. And he was directing his first film, um, Return, Return to Oz. Yeah. And the studio wanted to fire him. So Francis and George had to fly into thing and be the godfathers of this project and say, no, we know Walter, don't worry, trust yeah. me, he's going to be able to do this. And um, while he was there, uh, his line producer on Indiana Jones, who was a friend of mine, a guy named Robert Watts, a lovely guy, introduced me. And we, were on, we weren't even on a stage, we were in a warehouse because he had everything. You know, they had cranes and they didn't have steady cams in, but they had everything. They had walkie talkies, you know, <laughs> and we had flags, you know. And I had a crew of like 22, wonderful English director named Gavin Miller. Mm -hmm. And we were doing the opening scene with Jim Henson, and uh, which is all of our money was going into these like three days of shooting. But George came and visited the set and he stayed for like four or five hours. Mm -hmm. And you could tell right then and there he yearned to be on our set, you know, where he had like 400 people on his. Yeah. And of course, we yearned to be on his because, you know, they had, they had stuff we'd never even seen before. You know, all this American gear had come in. Um, but he's always been a very small filmmaker. That's the irony, yeah. the kind of curse and blessing of Star Wars and Indy is... Uh, you know, he, it's it's going to be an interesting time in his life right now to see what mm. whether he gets back to, to going back to... And, and when you first sort of met him, what did you, what did you think of him? What did you make of him? Um, he's a very quiet, very reserved, incredibly shy person okay. when you meet him. Uh, but as you get to know him, I mean, one of the greatest qualities of his loyalty, uh, he's actually incredibly funny. He's really dryly funny. Isn't uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Most yeah. people don't uh, get that at all, but he has a, a phenomenal sense of humor. And uh, I think when he's in England and when he's in Australia, he's the happiest because nobody really, you don't have the same kind of fame mythology bullshit that goes on in the United States. I mean, in the States, you can't do anything, you yeah. know. Mm. I mean, he, he doesn't even need to take a shower. He can be licked from, you know, he just walks <laughs> right down the hall. Just, you know, even in his own company, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so strange, you know. But here, nobody really, you know, they're nice and the thing, and other than the guys who make 50 or 60 pounds on his autograph, um, <laughs> you know, but he can hide, and he knows how to get around that. But, uh, you know, everybody just, they just want to care, you know, it's 
a good guy you say hello and nice and then they'll do you know what i mean it's, mm-hmm. the crew is like that australia is very very much like that for him so when you get him outside the united states where he can actually have a real relationship and conversation with somebody without you know uh hearing about you know their mothers who's got cancer and they just donate hundred fifty thousand dollars <laughs> and this and you know all that stuff uh he's a lovely incredible person unbelievably decent person Okay, it's competition time. Uh, I actually remembered this week. Sorry about that last week. I forget my own head if it wasn't loosely tethered with post-it notes. This week you can win one of three amazing unofficial Prometheus posters by cracking Boston-based illustrator Ibrahim Youssef, which are frankly stunning. To see them, log on to the website www.emparonline.com in case you're not quite sure what it is, and there you'll find them. The question is very, very simple. Prometheus is the name of the ship in Prometheus, but what is the name of the ship in Ridley Scott's original Alien to enter. Oh, Phil knows. But you can't answer, Phil. I can't say... Oh. You, no, you can't answer, okay. no. Uh, but to enter, send your answer. Maybe email Phil for the answer. Uh, send us your answer, your name, and your address to podcast at emperorline.com. Do it! Do it now! Okay, movie reviews time now. Lots of releases this week, but really there's only one film people want to hear about, which is, of course, Snow White and the Huntsman, the latest take on the legendary fairy tale. <laughs> This time, Kristen Stewart is the fairest one of them all in a gritty, action-packed take in the story, which stars Chris Hemsworth as the hunky huntsman. Hi. And Charlie, I know, I know. And Charlie's Theron. Dan, you can sign here at this point as well if you want. va mm. As the wicked stepmother. We've already had Mirror Mirror, a much flightier version of the fairy tale this year. So how does this one hold up? Now, Helen, you were on set, and Dan, you reviewed it for the magazine. So go, fight, have a go, have it out. No, I think we're on the same page, actually, in this case. Um... Yeah. The the film has a lot of stuff going on for what is essentially quite a simple fairy tale. They've kind of brought in a lot of complexity that I think maybe didn't need to be there. So in addition to the aforementioned, you know, Snow White, the Huntsman, and the Wicked, Wicked Queen, Ravenna, okay. um, who's got a much bigger part this time. She's got a bit of backstory, a bit of sort of context to mm. her. She also has a brother who we don't care about. Mm. Um, there are eight dwarves, not seven. Presumably Disney what? had the copyright on don't seven. Don't mess with the formula. Really, didn't they have the copyright in seven? I don't, I don't know, know, but... I don't it, know, sure. It, it, you can't have a copyright in the That number. was what they implied last year at Comic-Con. I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure why. But anyway, there yeah. are eight. I mean, they're great actors playing them. You've got, you know, Bob Hoskins, Ray Winston, Nick Frost, Ian McShane in there. Um, but they don't have much to do. They don't get introduced until well over the halfway point. Mm. Um, and then you also have um, Sam Claflin as a sort of Prince Charming style character his name is William Um, you you just have a lot going on Um, and and they're trying to make it this big huge Lord of the Rings style epic there's loads of you know tramping across mountains and going through beautifully designed forests it looks amazing Um, but there's just so much going on that you never quite get drawn into it you're too busy trying to keep track of it all yeah he spends a lot of time trying to please all the people all of the time and, and and i think that's where it goes a little bit wrong it, it lacks perspective and, and focus as well i mean you know the idea of bumping up the huntsman takes away from the dwarves because uh, chris hemsworth is obviously in, in the original story the huntsman is sent to kill snow white and then doesn't and then takes back the fake heart to the queen and then he's out of the story and then the dwarves are the ones that that she meets yeah whereas he stays with her and then okay. you're a little bit like, in term, in story terms, he's doing the job the dwarves do. Mm. So they actually managed to have a version of the story that doesn't need the dwarves. Mm. Okay. Um, and I thought, you know, if you're going to be, uh, I thought it would be far more interesting to tell the whole thing from the dwarves' perspective. And, and, and given the guys they got in to play those dwarves, and, and actually they're, they're, they're the, pretty much the best thing in it. 
Um, mm. You kind of you kind of wish that there was a lot more of them. I mean, I will say it, it does look great. Um, I mean, Rupert Sanders, this is his first ever movie. But wasn't he, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Dan, but yeah. wasn't he linked to the Halo adaptation? Yeah, no, he he did the Halo ads. He did the Halo mm. ads? Yeah, he did the ads for uh, Halo 3 and the games that followed as well. He okay. did the ad- adverts. And was he ever attached to the brilliant film? Brilliant adverts. No, Neil Blomkamp was attached to the Neil film. Blomkamp, yeah, Brief, uh, briefly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if Rupert Sanders was attached to it at any point, I'm I, I'm not sure about okay. that. But he, his connection to Halo is primarily through the adverts. Okay, and actually, but he's, he's, got, he's, a, he's a British commercial director. Then, yeah, okay. yeah. He's 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 really visually brilliant. Yeah. Um, go to his website. He's got a website. His short film is on there, which is just weird and twisted, and has. Uh, uh, Whitney Abel from Monsters. Yes, she's she is in it, uh, and you can see all his ads on there. So you can kind of you kind of get why they felt he was the right guy to do this. And visually, he is. I mean, it's very uh, Ridley Scott, Terry Gilliam, Peter Jackson, Guillermo del Toro. Oh yeah, great. All those guys, but uh, you know, actually quite like quite a lot of Ridley Scott films. Um, uh, the, the weakness is the story, not is how it yeah. looks. Okay, okay. Um, but what about uh, Kristen Stewart? I didn't like her very much. I've been a bit of a Kristen Stewart apologist. I think a lot of the Twilight hatering is is sort of knee jerkism, um, and and I don't think she deserves quite the stick that she gets generally. Having said that, I didn't much like her here. I thought she she needed to be something different. I think she needed to to loosen up sometimes. I get that the stakes are high, but even at the very end when, spoiler, happy ending, um, she what? doesn't even smile then and I kind of felt like she could have just loosened up a little bit and just given us a smile at that point. There is a theory she's actually physically incapable of smiling. Is this, that, no, that's me, Chris. You know that. Um, but also, I think what what also frustrates me in, in films like this, you have Chris Hemsworth and Sam Claflin, both of whom have a vague romantic interest in Snow White kind of going on and they kind of half-heartedly set up some kind of love triangle thing maybe but don't really it's, go there. It's okay. sequel and bait, isn't it? It's this sequel is bait, and it's, that it's, really it's, irritates me. I want some payoff on my love triangle yeah. or my love whatever. Otherwise, you know, just just don't bother. They, they leave a lot hanging just to to open the way for another one, and it's 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 that's it's the, just a shame. getting a little dull now, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Stop trying to make franchises, Hollywood. Try to make yeah. good films, and then. Yeah. You know, maybe a sequel yeah, will come up. Exactly. Make a example, great standalone film. Yeah. And the sequels will come, like Star Wars. Absolutely. The worst mm. example of that in recent years, for me anyway, is The Losers. Uh, spoiler warning here, but yeah. uh, Jason Patrick's bad guy not only gets away at the end of the film, but makes a phone call to uh, Jeffrey D. Morgan's uh, Clay at the end and essentially says, I'll see you next time. Essentially, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or the A team, which which did something very very similar, and uh, and the movie's stiff, and nothing ever happens, and you you, it's very very annoying. Mm. Just just yeah, absolutely make self contained standalone stories, mm. and then if we like them, we'll come back to them. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay, and uh, obviously I apologise to Kristen Stewart. She is very much physically capable of smiling. I saw a picture of her smiling just the other day. It lit up my heart. Oh. Uh, let's move on now from Snow White and the Huntsman. We gave that three. We Dan, did. Is that right? That was, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, it was, so it that, was the three is it, people sometimes misunderstand what three stars means in Empire. The three stars is a recommendation. Three stars is. says good. Yeah, three stars means good. It means um, you pay your money, you go and see it, you don't feel ripped off. Um, but you will come out, I think, with Snow White with some reservations. 
Okay. All right. But maybe go see it at the cinema or wait. No, it's Spect- worth seeing at the cinema. Demands. Honestly, the Sanders, I really hope he does go on to better things. Okay. Uh, I think he's entirely capable of going on to better things. I just think maybe they need to be not so um, uh, studio manipulated, shall we say. Okay. And, and with stronger scripts. Fair enough. Uh, okay, so I know That's that my while, career advice for a film director. <laughs> so, uh, Rupert, if you're listening, <laughs> please follow Dan's advice. Uh, okay, I know that while Snow White and the Huntsman may be interesting, it's not really the release you want to hear about this week. And all this talk of Charlize Theron made me realise that, you know, she's probably a fan of Ken Loach. And as is excited about <laughs> The Angel's Share, which is his latest film, picked up a prize she in Cannes this week. She has posters of him on she, her bedroom Massive wall. posters, yeah. Yeah, she loves My Name is Joe. Yeah. Um, and she's she's hugely excited. Charlize, if you're listening, please tweet in, tell us about your love for She for even Ken. likes A Fond Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> is this true, Charlize? Yeah, she wanted to be in it. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. But Ken said no. 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 You're too Hollywood. Yeah. Oh. Get out. Harsh. Yeah. Get out, Charlize Theron. It's about a group of ruffians in Scotland who decide to pull off a whiskey heist. So uh, yeah. what do we reckon to this one, Phil? Um, what, what will Charlize think of this? Char- I think Charlize would quite enjoy this one. Um, I don't know where she would have stood on Root Irish, his last film, which was much more political. Um, kind I, like of a, I like that one. I liked it yeah, as well. I, was good. I don't know if Charlize is more into sort of political Ken or more kind of comedic Ken. Playful Ken. Playful, looking for Eric Ken. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed both those films. I think I'm looking for Eric is probably my favourite. This is him sort of doing one gentler one, one tougher one. But there, there is tough edges. I've had one problem with The Angel's Share, which um, Can didn't share because they gave it a jury prize, obviously, mm-hmm. um, is that it starts off as a very much an angry kind of semi-polemic on um, society, social realism. It starts off with this guy... Um, Robbie, who is given a load of community service um, for a brutal, which we see actually in a very, very tough, hard-hitting scene, assault on a completely um, innocent bystander in Glasgow town centre after a big night out. So he's got a dark side, mm-hmm. um, and that is that's really sort of uh, stressed in the early part of the film, which gives it a kind of a "My name is Joe" feel. And then when he gets together with this group under the uh, kind of benevolent eye of uh, of a probation social worker they develop this love of whiskey and the angel's share of the title is the two percent in any barrel of whiskey which evaporates and goes to the angels who presumably sit around singing songs um, <laughs> in a slightly tipsy style or planted a nut on each other <laughs> yeah, yeah well depending on where you are and i guess that's where the film suddenly shifts it kind of changes from my name is joe and becomes kind of whiskey galore a slightly ealing kind of comedy caper yeah where robbie um, and the, I think one of the lovely things about this is that Robbie is played by a guy called Paul Brannigan, mm-hmm. who is very much has the same sort of story. He himself had done time for you know for, for crimes, and he got found by Paul Laverty, this, um, Ken Loach's yeah, longtime yeah. scriptwriter partner. Yeah. Missed two auditions for this film, and Paul Laverty ended up calling him up and saying, "You've got to show up. This is your chance." And he showed up, and he shows up in the film too. He's really good as this character, and I think he brings a lot of himself to it. So it's a lovely, he's got, his character's got a great arc, really lovely arc, but at the same time, I'm not sure where the film starts and some of those incredible scenes, like when Robbie has to sit down in these meetings they have where he's to face the victim of his crime and his family. And it's an incredibly tough scene um, mm. for him to act in, as well as a you know, you know first-time actor, um, and to watch. And then at the end, it's kind of a bit of a jolly romp, and the... And the the, the the perspective on the crime itself kind of shifts as well, so you're not sure quite whether where you know Ken's morality is on on the idea of crime. If there's a victimless crime or or not, there seems to be a, a an issue with that. Um, but it's fun. Um, it's just a little uneven in parts, I would say. 
Okay, and Ken Loach is incredibly prolific. I mean, he, he seems to churn he, movies yeah. out constantly. It's, it's, it's amazing that he can keep moving spryly from genre to genre. He does. I don't think he shifts too far from his sort of central his central interest and I don't I think you know that's probably the fires are burning obviously at the moment with and this film's but likely is, born out of that it's not root Irish I mean it's not root Irish no but it is very much born of um, the same you know the credit crunch and the cutbacks and people being left I mean this this is this kind of Carlito's way sort of story that we've seen a few times okay. down the years of a guy that wants to escape from his his checkered past but keeps getting sucked in because the people that he's kind of messed with keep coming for him and his only way of protecting himself is to protect himself society won't protect him sure he's got no opportunities for work so he has to kind of turn to this victimless crime this kind of whiskey heist that they get involved in um it's got lots of funny bits lots of tough bits don't always gel as brilliantly as they might which is why we've given it three stars but um uh, if you love Ken Loach, um, I would definitely go and check this out. Fantastic. I think he's a fantastic filmmaker. And you spoke you know, to him this week, didn't you? I you did. I met him yeah. and I met Paul Laverty, and the two of them have. I think that might be a part of the part of the kind of reason why they're so prolific is that they, they just have a great partnership. They seem to be kind of in harmony. Um, and uh, there was a bit of railing. I mean, <clears throat> I think this is of all junkets I've ever done. The most prolific use of the c word in this one, because <laughs> there was some controversy over this, wasn't there? It? Was, the, yeah, Ken the BBFC's yeah. Uh, certification of the Angel Share because they wanted to give it an eighteen because it contains a c word seven times, and they want they, the BBFC ruled you could only have two c words uh, for a fifteen certificate. Now Ken Loach was going, but this is about. Glaswegians, yeah, uh, and yeah, they use the, the 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 word as a term of endearment. Uh, we're not going to say it here because we'll get banned by iTunes. But you know, it's <laughs> it, so it's weird. How many uh, has it ended there, up at seven? Did uh, they, did no, they no. Apparently, they snuck in an eighth, which the BBFC didn't. Ken was very proud about this. He said, oh, so yeah, he said he, he sort of he, it's like Snow White. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So who was, who was a copyright on Seven C words? That's what I want to probably Irvin Welsh Disney. <laughs> Disney. <laughs> but in fairness, oh, in dear. fairness to the BBFC, I think they, you know, they do have um, guidelines that they kind of, I guess, they were trying to stick to on this. But it's a bit arbitrary and a bit stupid, I think. And and that yeah. was their point. They were allowed two aggressive uses of the C word and two aggressive five. Uses. Chocular. Chocular uses of the C word and one secret one. Oh. And a dwarf. <laughs> How many Is there uh, a mournful use of the C word? <laughs> <laughs> a laconic sigh. Yeah, yeah, I don't I didn't notice that one, but they could could easily be. I, I sense a supercut brewing, but uh, <laughs> a very, very R-rated supercut. And that's it for this week. Other releases, of course, include Miley Cyrus in LOL, or LOL, which doesn't live up to its name, sadly. Um, a re-release of the 1980 film Death Watch. There's Bella Tarr's The Turin Horse, which Phil has already seen four times on the Armenian IMAX he co-owns with Abbas Kiriostami. And uh, <laughs> Top Cat, the movie, which may well be the first horseman of the apocalypse. And that that is it. I can't really think of anything else um, we should discuss. Uh, Chris, uh, maybe Prometheus? Prometheus. Yeah, you know. Oh, Prometheus! Prometheus yes, yeah. yes, God. Uh, yeah, Prometheus. Oh, of course. Um, it is, of course, Sir Ridley Scott's return to sci-fi after 30 years away. He did uh, two films. Um, oh, um, Alien and... Uh, the Aliens. One. No, wait. Uh, yeah. uh, Blade Runner. <laughs> Blade Runner. Uh, and now he's back, back, back. Uh, Prometheus concerns a team of scientists who travel in the far reaches of space in order to discover the true origins of mankind. But what they actually find there is all sorts of bitey things that, and bad stuff. Uh, it stars Nimi Rapace, Michael Fassbender, Charlize Theron, Idris Elba, Guy Pearce, Rife Spall, Sean Harris, the terrifying Sean Harris, and Logan Marshall-Green. And if it all sounds a bit like Alien, well, that is kind of the point. So is it connected? Is it a prequel? 
Is it any good? And how do we talk about this thing without spoiling it? I was on set of this movie hmm. a couple of times. And everything I saw and heard on set and from people who were involved with it led me to believe that there was a real chance that this could be Ridley Scott's hat trick. I.e., mm. he's made two science fiction movies, Alien and Blade Runner, and I think we would agree that they are masterpieces. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And there was a chance, a really good chance, that Prometheus, which tackles big, weighty themes, uh, allied to that sort of alien haunted house movie in space mm. trope, mm could have been his third masterpiece mm. it's it, not it isn't it's not. it isn't the, 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 right the, 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 the big problem with this is everyone everyone is going to be going to this film with baggage with baggage of expectations baggage of what they hope for want from this having loved Alien and Aliens even though that wasn't Ridley Scott and it's kind of like Ridley Scott is almost saying you brought baggage in with you you're idiots you shouldn't have done Okay. Mm. In a way. Yeah. So it's, it, it kind of depends on what your expectation is. Technically, it's brilliant. You know, it, it looks, and I mean visually, I mean, as is the case with all of all, all of Ridley Scott's films, pretty much. Uh, it looks fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, I'm always a fan of grand-scale sci-fi or space opera, if you prefer, and, and um, it it, it kind of does that, that job visually again. Um uh, story-wise, it's not great. It, 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 you know, this is you know my humble, my humble opinion. Um, it um, it falls apart pretty quickly. You know, and maybe again, it's about the baggage. What do I love about the Alien movies? I love the Aliens, mm-hmm. and I love Ripley. Neither of them are in this. Um, what, what do I? You know, Ridley got really into the idea of who is the space jockey how did that ship get there what are the questions in it and i'm like i don't care well my thing is and, and again you know, we have to be very very careful of spoilers here yeah. is that um this movie has been promising answers to questions and i don't think it delivers them i'm no. not just talking about the big questions of mm. who are we where where do we come from it it, it kind of tries to answer those in a very science fiction mm. type, type way um but the questions of the connections between this movie and Alien, which I was connected, which which I was clinging on to as a as a massive Alien fanboy, um, to me aren't answered satisfactorily. Mm. Um, I think it has a really really strong opening, very reminiscent mm. of Alien, very moody shots. Uh, mm. There's great shots of Michael Fassbender as the android David, um, who's one of the best performances in the film. He's uh, terrific. Uh, yeah, he's uh, very and good. He, and he walks around yeah. the ship, and everyone's in cryostasis, and he's on his own. And there's a lovely. There's actually a nod to Alien Resurrection. I don't know if anyone noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, in there as well, which is yeah. which is interesting. There's quite a few aliens nods. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, which is which is which is great, um, and I like some of the Easter egg stuff. And there's, once they get down to the planet's surface, uh, which is LV two two three, that's correct. Movie. Uh, almost not, almost half four two six. Almost half four two six. There's some really really nice stuff. Some really really nice movie stuff. But Alien, not only did Alien feel and look at the time, and I think even still, despite all the copycats we've had over the years. Mm. Uh, it felt like nothing else we'd ever seen. Mm. It felt lived in and sweaty and real. And this one feels too pristine. Mm. But also Alien was incredibly focused. And it was about seven characters who essentially wanted to do one thing, which was kill that little bastard that's running around the yeah. ship, bumping us off one at a time. Well, six characters, yeah. of course, by yeah. the time. Ash, uh, also. Yeah. Uh, uh, obviously, there's complications with Ash, but essentially they're very, very, very focused. Yeah. 
this movie is a little bit all over the place in terms of character motivations I'm not quite sure who's doing what to whom people are over here one thing's happened to someone over mm-hmm. here while someone else is down on the planet's surface well they're actually on the planet's surface but someone's on the ship someone's in the pyramid it, it, it's a little bit too dysfunctional for me I think what this is trying to be is kind of hard proper sci-fi no that's fair enough um, that's and fair enough. Uh, and by the way, it's not. Tr- I don't think it's trying to be a horror. So there mm. are scary moments, but it's certainly it doesn't have in any way the sort of sustained tension and fear of Alien. But I don't think it's trying to be charitably. I really don't. Um, but okay. but the problem with with it being a hard sci-fi movie is that it doesn't feel well enough thought through. Mm. It doesn't feel like they've actually really worked out how this all fits together. Um, and, and you don't come away with this big picture that can then blow your mind. You know, you, you should be coming away with, yes, unanswered questions that you can think about down the line and can you know, sort of expand your brain afterwards. But those shouldn't be plot essential mm. um, unanswered questions. They should be sort of supplementary world questions where you yep. should be able to think through it further and further and further. And I think the problem for me is it didn't explain stuff that was pretty much essential to what was going on on screen during the film it went way downhill in the, the last 15 minutes there's one death which is <laughs> just one of the worst yeah if we ever do the uh, the movie darwin's uh, movie darwin awards yeah. for the stupidest deaths in this i think there's definitely one that's going to be in there uh, we're not going to say anything no. else i think that, what, <clears throat> what most disappointed me about the especially the end the last 20 minutes or so was it just felt like any other sort of summer blockbuster mm. generic really generic and yeah. I you know that's probably the, the thumping disappointment coming out of it I mean there is loads of there's some great sequences some great stuff I agree with you I thought the the, the setup was phenomenal the stuff with, with Fassbender you know two yeah. years what's he going to do in those two years whilst everyone's sleeping I, you know, if anyone were to ask me, should you go and see Prometheus? I would say yes, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's a danger with this film. And yeah. I think it's a danger that uh, the the, the the last twenty minutes does go downhill, and the disappointment of that. You come out of the cinema with that disappointment, uh, and even though there's still some good moments in the last twenty minutes, you, you're coming out and you're going, oh, really? But there are great things in this film, and we should we should not overlook that. In the, in I, the I can actually pinpoint the exact point when it sort of turned around for me okay. before that before that exact point which I won't describe okay. there's this very specific moment before that I was really carried along with it and actually thinking this is awesome and then after that point it was all a bit oh and now it's become unhinged and it's falling apart there are great things in this film we've, we've discussed Michael Fassbender as David who's got these incredibly shadowy motivations he's a robot does he want to be human does he not like humans is he going to go a bit bishop or is he going to go a bit ash or is he going to do neither uh, and he's fantastic in it for me though I mean maybe Rapace is fantastic as Elizabeth Shaw who's mm. kind of this sort of you know not quite Ripley she's not a warrior like Ripley but you know she's a scientist she's got faith it's a little bit heavy handed in the discussion of her faith versus science and you know can God exist if people were created by something else but for me the standout of the cast and this is weird because having been on set I didn't really get a sense of this character at all and he doesn't show up and really in the trailers is Idris Elba he's great as yeah. a Captain Chanak who's the captain of Prometheus and he is phenomenal in this film he's really charming and charismatic and you know heroic and mm. you know almost in a way the movie's leading man in a, in a, in a weird way He's and, the only uh, yeah. character that would have fit, fitted in seamlessly into... into know, I can't mention the name of the ship from the first film, but... <laughs> true, true. <laughs> on yeah, that true. crew, you know? So I think close. Maybe that's, maybe that's you know, something that we loved about him. He yeah. just felt like and, he was from Alien And world. there are good sequences. There's a, there's mm. a, a you know, there's a, a really phenomenally intense sequence involving uh, a major character. Uh, yeah, there, there are other moments that are quite icky and gruesome. I don't mm. really see, though, how this got an R rating. Um, 
in the States because it has that PG-13 thing where they say the F word just once. Uh, so it was clearly tailored. It was clearly designed as a PG-13 movie. So whether they just added in a little bit of CG blood towards the end just to get it over the uh, the R rating or maybe it was the intensity. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we come here not to bury Prometheus but to kind of go, yeah. <laughs> it was all right. I think honestly, in some ways it would have been better had it not been in any way connected to the Alien series. Because I felt like some of the problems at least came from trying to fit in those little homages to the original uh, films and they f- they came from trying to link things up to the sort of the 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 biology of the aliens themselves and and if it had been just a sci-fi movie completely standalone without having had to reference any of that i think it might have been a stronger film if it hadn't if it hadn't been presented as 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 being connected to the alien world then i mean i you know pretty talked about strands of aliens DNA in this well there's strands of leviathan's DNA there's strands of the things <laughs> DNA there's strands of species's DNA there's a lot and, of Cronenberg in this film I would say and I'm sorry to say it there's strands of alien versus predators DNA in there as well <sighs> there is there is and um, I think I, I just you know yeah. I, I, I think it's it's but, trying so hard to be part of that universe but not be the same thing you 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 just go. You might as well have just gone. Hey, come on. Yes, it's an alien prequel. Absolutely. Which, which, which is how it started. And, and, and just reclaim that um, territory. John Spates, um, who was the original writer on the project, who was then um, well replaced is a very strong word. But uh, Damon Lindelof took over and wrote a draft. The, the script is credited to the both of them. Um, but I certainly think that the lion's share of the writing was done by Damon Lindelof. Uh, but John Spates' script was apparently a full-on alien prequel with face huggers and chest bursters and the alien that we know and love running around somewhere doing something to someone <laughs> um and you can kind of see in this movie the elements of that script remain yeah and maybe yeah they swapped out rather than going down the face like a route and whatnot they decided to come up with something new and it it doesn't entirely work for me but yeah we we gave Prometheus a three star review which again is a recommendation to go see it I mean Mm. you're going to go see it anyway let's be honest Um, it's the the movie it's the movie to see this week but do go see it probably on the biggest screen you can find because the 3D is fantastic the visuals are great alright well that is it for this week's uh, Empire Podcast next week's Empire Podcast isn't really a prequel to this one but it does share some DNA especially (laughs) in the last eight minutes Uh, and it will also have on the show Mr. Simon Pegg to promote A Fantastic Fear of Everything and Mr. Bob Whitey to promote his Woody Allen documentary interesting enough both of those movies are coming out on the same day June 8th in the UK Bob Whitey of course directed Simon Pegg in How to Lose Friends and Alienate People Oh, it's almost like they're two people who make films and they got films coming out and that they do films with other people. It's goodbye from Dan. <laughs> Bye. Uh, it's goodbye from Helen. <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. And of course, goodbye from me. Enjoy your Diamond Jubilee weekend, Mom. We know you're listening. Bye.